There's so much opportunity still to collaborate with creators that is totally untapped. All right, welcome back to Creator Economy Live. This is episode 17. And as always, this is the place to get the download on all things creator economy and influencer marketing. We are your hosts, Keith Bendis and Brent again, and we are joined by the lovely Sarah Shaker, head of brand engagement at Maybelline New York. Sarah, welcome to the pod. We are very excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this, Sarah. This is awesome. Brendan, are you a L'Oreal user of any kind? I feel like you're a Kiehl's guy. I'm like the worst. I don't do any skincare or whatsoever. And like, uh, although my ex did make me use face masks from time to time, but uh, I'm I'm at that age. I should seriously start doing it. (laughs) What about you, Keith? You know, I'll send you some after this then. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, is is the implication I need it? No, no. But, you know, as as we age, we want to be, yes, preventative for as we age. Exactly. I think the ocean is Brendan's natural skin cleanser. Your skin looks fabulous. Right Brendan, back at Don't worry it. about it. <laughs> Wait, now, Keith, you dodged the question, though. Do you use anything? I did dodge the question. I use Kiel. So, I, Sarah, we talked about this. My wife worked at L'Oreal for many years, and that company store... That's a good company store in that office over there. So I, I maximized my keels in that company store. Good, good. It's such a gem. It's like, you know, what's better than an employee discount where you can bring your friends in and family in? It's, you know, and we have like 30 plus brands in there. So yeah, it's it's a special place. Okay. Well, I'd ask you your favorite brand, but I feel like you're going to be way too biased on that answer. <laughs> so let's start with your background. A lot of people don't know who you are, what you've done, how you've gotten to this point. So we would love to give the audience some some intel on who Sarah is. Yes, of course. So I have been at L'Oreal for about eight years now. Previous to that, though, I actually started my career, I would say the opposite of working in social media. I started working on a soap opera on As the World Turns, which was on CBS. So, you know, an older version of storytelling, I guess I'll say. So I was there my first four years out of college It got canceled, unfortunately, as many of the soaps did at the time in 2010. And then I just somehow transitioned into social media as a career, as a community manager, and, you know, worked my way up as it became an option, you know, to have a career in. So that's where I started, did some time at some great agencies, and then was recruited by L'Oreal. So here I am today on Maybelline leading our brand engagement team. What was your role at the soap opera? I had a couple. So first was the intern during my senior year of college, and then I was hired as the production coordinator. So, you know, kind of the go-to person for the scripts and ordering the car services and, you know, the logistics. And then I was the assistant producer. So I actually did continuity on the show, which was so much fun. And I cannot believe they let a 24-year-old actually do scripts continuity and continuity, you know, in the control room. It was crazy, but it was so, it was so much fun. Yeah. What Do you want to tell us more about what you're doing now in this current role with, with Maybelline? Of course. So I've been on Maybelline now a little over a year. And so for brand engagement, that includes PR, 
social, experiential, cause marketing, and it's influencer. So it's been really great to oversee that 360 type of storytelling and strategy for such an iconic brand. I do feel very lucky to work on the largest cosmetics brand in the country. Any kind of key proud moments so far in the, in the last year plus? Honestly, so many, but I think for me personally, I'm incredibly proud of the work that we've done in the cause space. I know not many people know this yet about Maybelline, but for the last three years or so, the brand has taken on our cause um, to support mental health. It's called Brave Together, and it's um, resources like a specific crisis text line that we have. So while we are donating money, we also want to provide access. So the newest thing that I am proud about, we launched this year. It's called Brave Talk. So it's a partnership with the Jed Foundation. And essentially, they have created these free 90-minute expert-led trainings that we've launched on campuses across the U.S. And it's designed so that the college staff would get trained, and then they would train the students. So whether that's sororities on campus, you know, sports teams, and training them so that they have the skills to support their peers who might be experiencing anxiety or depression. And it's really something that I think this generation is so much more comfortable speaking about, right? Like experiencing, uh, you know, mental health issues, focusing on their mental wellness, but not everyone, if you haven't experienced it, you don't always know the key signs to look for, right? So we really wanted to do something that we thought would be impactful and help these students that essentially, you know, already are consumers. We wanted to do something where we could really be there for them. So yeah, I'm super excited for that. Yeah, I think it's been it's been really great and well received. That's fantastic. I love that. I don't know if we've talked about this. Maybe you and I, Brendan, have behind the scenes, but the cause based influencer campaigns tend to perform incredibly well from an engagement standpoint too. We did a comparison. I think it was a year ago of a bunch of campaigns, cause based, non cause based, and looked at engagement rates with consumers. And cause based marketing does a phenomenal job, especially with influencers. So I love when I see brands doing this work and then looping influencers in. It's just a much better way to partner than a product promotion. Cause marketing, yes, it's so important and is well-received and you get that great engagement because, especially if it's authentic, right? It's authentic to the brand, what the brand stands for. And, you know, as an elder millennial, I care about this, but I really do think that Gen Z truly wants to purchase from and support brands that are doing good in the world. You know, there's been studies on it, but I think it's really true just qualitatively talking to younger people. 100%. I think it's smart too, having sort of like a consistent cause that you guys are aligned with versus like, because I feel like it's very easy to sort of get pulled a million different directions, but like brands that sort of stay true to like, this is representative of us. This is the cause that we stand behind. That credibility kind of compounds and you've got more, to your point, like authenticity. I think people recognize that that's what you actually stand for versus like, it can also sort of go the other way when like brands don't really know what they stand for. And then they're kind of jumping on it and it seems a little bit opportunistic. So doing something that's multi-year and like you guys really like have as part of the brand, I think is such a smart strategy. Yeah. And there are so many um, nonprofits that we can support under that umbrella. So I think that's been really important, whether it's Trevor Project or the Loveland Foundation that helps women of color get therapy sessions. You know, we're working with so many different nonprofits under Brave Together that I think also helps it be impactful to, to reach different communities. So I think that's been great, but I totally agree. It's like, as humans, we want to help everyone and help the world, but we can't 
we can't do every single charitable cause. And then it does seem like we don't stand for anything. Yeah. You also mentioned college students and campuses, and that's been a hot theme and topic of late as well, is how do you reach a younger generation that's currently in school and how do you work with schools and how do you educate at the school level? So Brendan, I even know, you know, you and I have had conversations with these school organizations where there's now influencer groups that are cross country. Obviously that Ireland university that got a lot of press the other day for introducing a a course on influencer marketing. So it's really interesting to see how this has infiltrated college campuses too. These students, it's like everything's on their phone and they're connecting with each other and that can help or hinder their mental health. So yeah, I'd be so curious his thoughts on that. We we actually also in the college uh, theme, uh, a topic, we also do product focus pop-ups on campuses. We do a spring and a fall tour. So this fall, we were actually just at Howard University this week. I think the first week in November, we were at Miami. And so there it's more of like a, you know, give out free products, education on you know, product formulas, whatever that might be. But really, it's just the it's the product focus. We do have handouts and information on Brave Talk and Brave Together. But overall, it's like we want to separate them. We don't want to confuse the products with like a serious topic. Yeah. And the intersection of experiential now coming back in full steam, you know, post the COVID era, so to speak, which is a great transition into our first big topic of the week, actually. It's already, you know, been a month, but we haven't talked about Fashion Week here on the pod. New York City had Fashion Week last month. I don't know if you saw a lot of the news stories. They were very much focused on how influencer took over Fashion Week. The influencers were dominating the front row. There were unbelievable amounts Mm -hmm. of influencer partnerships, both digitally and in person surrounding Fashion Week. I think there were some influencers actually walking the catwalk. So like influencers kind of took over. There there were. Some of the news was almost <laughs> the negative attitude of what has happened to Fashion Week, but I'm curious on your opinion of just Fashion Week in, in total, how influencer descended on it. Oh, yeah. So for me, I think what's been so interesting is that over 10, 12 years or so that I've been in this industry, living in New York City, I just really love that I've witnessed who's truly influential on those purchasing decisions around New York Fashion Week. So when we saw bloggers first getting invited, maybe it was 2008, 2009, and, you know, editors thought that was strange. They're like, this is our job. Like, why is this blogger sitting next to me? But many of those bloggers continue to have these careers where they evolved into these social media creators who we saw all over, you know, Fashion Week this year, all over TikTok. And those are now the people that are influencing your purchases for both fashion and beauty, actually, during Fashion Week, whether it's TikTok, Pinterest, the meta platform, Snap. I've seen so much of that. And Maybelline actually used to be the official New York Fashion Week um, sponsor. That ended maybe like five years or so ago. So it was before I was on the brand. So that was a whole different world then, too, to see, you know, sponsor all the makeup for all of the shows. These sort of like anti, oh my gosh, like influencers are invading Fashion Week. Things seem so outdated in a way it's like (laughs) hey it's not new influencers are here and like it's not really also in in a lot of ways it's not really any different than like celebrities and in fact in a lot of ways i'd argue it's like it's smarter on so many levels like these are people who actually they're not necessarily famous for being famous they're famous because they've built audiences Mm -hmm. and communities and it's so valuable but like yeah to your point about 2008 like that reminds me of like that 
I mean, she was a teenager at the time, but rookie. Oh, um, yes. Was getting invited to uh, Fashion Week, like, in 2008. And she was, like, I think, wasn't she, like, 13 or 14? I'm pretty sure she was 13 or 14. Oh, yeah. And high fashion stuff that she would wear that I think was from, like, her mom's closet. And, yeah, then she turned it into Rookie Mag. That was super interesting. I know. What a time. Yeah, ta- uh, I just looked at, I couldn't remember her name, but Tavi Gevinson. Yes. I, I might Tavi, be yep. That wrong. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it makes so much sense. And like the the whole, like, oh my gosh, it's being invaded. It's like, where have you been the last? I mean, if this was 2008, I'm sure there were probably creators before that, but this is 15 years. Why do we keep saying, like, oh my gosh, this is new? I can't get over I that. Know. Like, it's the past, it's the present. It's going to continue to be the future. It's not It's going to it's going to continue. No, and and yeah, exactly. And as Keith was saying too, some of them were even on the run like in the runway shows. I had actually saw Iskra Lawrence. I don't know if you know her. She had done a lot with like Airy and the Airy Real campaign back in the day. I saw her in a in a lingerie show that I had gone to just with a friend who's close with her and wanted to support. I know Meredith Duxbury who we work with closely at Maybelline and across other L'Oreal brands. She was actually in Paris uh, walking Fashion Week. So, you know, we're seeing that impact. And then we're seeing their communities, because also, Brendan, like you said, they have these strong communities that really follow them, that they engage with, that, you know, it's well-received to them. And those are the, the, you know, those communities are who, as as brand marketers, we want to reach. So. Yeah. Well, it's a challenging of the old guard. And I think the old guard yes. is the traditional media, and that's what's getting defensive. So you just said Maybelline used to be a sponsor. I think there's a lot of brands who were fighting over sponsorship and driving mm-hmm. costs up with sponsorship, and now they see more of a organic tactic and way of partnering where they don't need to do those official sponsorships, and that's a challenge to the old guard. And I, so I think yes. traditional media will will kind of publish against this challenge because it's it's a threat to their bottom line, which actually ties well to to all the other stuff happening, the writer's strike ending, which means late night went back. I have a feeling we'll probably see an Oscars, you know, not too delayed this year. The MTV Awards, which if you watch them this year, it seemed like it was this wild success and one of the best MTV Awards of the last, you know, however many years, but the total view count was under a million viewers. And so you're looking at all of these things where they used to garner significant sponsorship dollars and now a single post from an influencer gets way more. I mean, even the Oscars draws, you know, over 18 million views. And Mr. Beast, I mean, I don't want to just use Mr. Beast because he's the largest creator in the world, but draws 24 million views around on average. So there is this question of why are brands potentially still latching on? Is it just because it's a cultural planable moment and predictable versus if they could go way more cost efficient through creators? You know, why, why are they still leaning into these bigger, bigger moments? I don't know if either of you have opinions on that. I mean, for me, I think it's, they want, all brands want to be relevant. You know, we want to figure out when there's a timing to be relevant. I know at Maybelline, we are starting to pivot and do that a big, a bit differently. So for the VMAs, you know, for us, it was more about sponsoring makeup artists that are in our community and sponsoring the looks, right? So they're getting the benefit. They're sponsoring the look of certain artists that were nominated. So then obviously we're getting some great press there about the products. We're getting our makeup on those celebrities who may fall in love with one of the products themselves. And then we also actually were working with MTV on another TikTok series at the same time. So I would say we really lucked out because then they were willing during the the VMA broadcast to actually promote the series, which was very cool to see them promote something on television 
for TikTok. It was kind of cool. It was a new test for them. So I would say we got to have a nice little halo effect, but didn't do the tradition, traditional, like, to your point, Grammys sponsored by whatever brand, you know? I mean, so a few other stats too. There's, um, to your point about the million viewers and subscribers or million viewers, I love this stat. It's probably much larger by now because the stat's about a year old, but there's over 32,000 YouTube channels with at least a million subscribers right now. And, and yeah, and, and obviously not every channel is going to be getting a million views because they've got a million subscribers, but they're certainly competing with a lot of cable TV shows and, and, and probably major network TV shows during daytime in terms of viewership. But I think we've almost got this hangover of mass media and there's, you know, they've got infrastructure, salespeople, so they're very embedded within the ecosystem. And then parallel to that, it's like you remember the MTV Music Awards or kind of similar kind of noteworthy mass media moments. And it's impossible to keep up with 32,000 YouTube channels with similar scale. Interests are so fractured now. And that's just, you know, the ones with a million, you know, you like, 500,000. That's still a ton of people. 100,000, 50,000. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of people. You can't keep up with it all. And so I think you kind of get an, a little bit of analysis paralysis. And in addition, you know, I think a lot of the creators don't necessarily do the best job themselves of sort of selling themselves at this larger scale. They benefited from so much inbound for so long, whereas, you know, the traditional media channels companies have all the infrastructure in place to woo advertisers, service them properly, et cetera. So, but it is interesting that I still think there's so much opportunity with creators. And actually, not to keep going off on tangents, but the Streamy Awards was just, whatever, two months ago. And like, I, I was like walking around the after party there and there was like XQC, Dream, all these massive creators. And there was almost no brand footprint. There's so much opportunity still to collaborate with creators that is totally untapped. Absolutely. And I think in that streaming space too, gamers, I think some brands have touched there, some haven't as much yet. Yeah. And I wonder if these worlds were merged. Will we see at the more traditional award shows them starting to introduce creator awards and them taking a bigger part in it? Because the worlds are merging, to your point, it's no longer one or the other of I do this major sponsorship of this show, of this award, of whatever. I need to do both of it. If I do that sponsorship, I still now need more money to invest surrounding it because the social conversation is what's dictating most of the engagement. I mean, you saw for Fashion Week, 664 million views of Fashion Week on TikTok. So you can't just be the sponsor and just say it's brought to you by. You need all the rest of the stuff, which means the budgets didn't just get exponentially larger on the brand side. Now you're pushing your partners on the traditional media side to say, I can do that sponsorship, but I need to do all these other things that price is going to have to come way down on the sponsorship side so I could do both. So I think those, everyone has to think about the ecosystem. I do think there is a little bit of an emotional value plus that is added for, listen, people who buy media are human beings. A lot of their human beings work in marketing. They are interested in these shows and these opportunities and these cultural moments. And so there's a little bit of a bias that probably adds some fluff to the dollars that are invested there versus other places. But what people forget is brands have to plan there is an actual calendar. And if it's about infiltrating culture and you could see cultural moments ahead of you versus with a creator and an influencer, they might have huge viewership, but they're 
1,020th post versus their 1,019th might not be a cultural spike. And so if you're looking at something like Fashion Week or Super Bowl or the holidays, you do have to take into account this is a known cultural moment. I need to be relevant in culture and I need to plan ahead as a brand because that's how brand planning works. So Mm -hmm. they're not going to go anywhere. It's just changing. We're going, I guess by the time this goes live, uh, Ad Week will be will be wrapped, but mm-hmm. we're going to ad week. And the topic of our speech is F tent poles, you know, how brands infiltrate <laughs> culture in the age of social. And, yeah. you know, we say F tent poles, but there is an element of they're never going to go away. It's just not being planned in the same way that it used to be planned. And it's now multidisciplinary. Exactly. I was going to say that. It's like we still look to prom as a season or back to school or something like, I know, if we think about an award show or the Super Bowl or something, but it's like, who are the players, at least on my side for brand engagement, that are going to be relevant in that space that we can try to partner with ahead of time or get ahead of ourselves? And when we speak with, you know, any of our media partners, right, as they're selling more traditional media, they have actually really pivoted to come to us and say, well, we can also provide this influencer network or these people, right, this experiential event where you can also do some product sampling. So they've really had to plus up what they used to charge maybe for more like a traditional TVC package. You know, that's really evolved from adding digital to now adding social influencer. It's almost like, what else can we provide? to really help you with those moments and get ahead. And we really love working with all of those partners. So sometimes we still do, and sometimes we can't and we have to pivot. So, yeah. One thing that's such a challenge nowadays, too, is now the landscape is shifting all the time. So the biggest cultural moments are oftentimes totally spontaneous. (laughs) Like, Yes, that too. We can't plan for that. (laughs) Yeah, and like, I mean, advertisers... We love being able to plan things. And the reality is the ecosystem has shifted so dramatically. I mean, like, I know this is sort of played out at the, uh, this moment in time, but like the grimace, grimace shake, that was like, that is going to be the biggest thing that's happened to McDonald's in probably like the last like five years or something. Totally spontaneous, mm-hmm. totally unplanned. And, you know, these are sort of the things that brands need to like r- learn to reconcile. And it's, it's not easy to like turn these multi-billion dollar corporations on a dime you know you got to take into account legal considerations all this stuff it's it's a really challenging time Uh uh-huh to be that reactive in real time and to see that moment to capitalize on it i think yeah i'm my legal team spends a lot of time with me and my team on things like that when we're like oh we have this great idea So I think so many brands and like McDonald's, like kudos to that, are trying to capitalize on those moments that you can't plan for. But sometimes, you know, sometimes it's hard to get executive leadership to also really understand the value of something that maybe my younger community manager is pitching because she's in the weeds. She knows what consumers are saying. She knows what's relevant and the coolest thing on TikTok. She has to teach me what some new phrase means. It's so funny. But like, she knows. And sometimes I I think a good idea can come from anywhere. And it really now is these like younger team members. And how do we, how do I, as a leader, help them sell their things up to management so we can run with it? You know, that's definitely a challenge. That's a really good point. And what processes do you build for quick approval of things? Because the moments kind of are fleeting. I'm just making those processes up, Keith. I'm just (laughs) making those processes up. 
as we go. And I'm lucky that my uh, head of marketing on Maybelline, she's so awesome. And sometimes she lets me do the craziest things. And I'm very thankful for that, you know, within our within our frame, within what finance and legal says I can do. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> Creator Economy Live. Join Keith and Brendan live and in person, as well as hundreds of brands in Vegas on January 17th for lively conversation and debate about everything in the world of influencer marketing and the creator economy. So that actually does bring up, I want to skip to Taylor Swift, because when you talk about cultural moments and what's happening quickly, Taylor, <laughs> it, was, it was a tale of two stories with the whole Kelsey thing. First of all, what she did from a numbers perspective is absolutely mind-blowing. I know you had a post about this, Brendan, so you could probably take us through the numbers. I just want to make the point that half of the side was saying this is such creative, interesting marketing and such unique, fast takes from brands. We saw Heinz with the seemingly ranch introduction. We saw Walmart put them up in the aisles. Uh, we saw mm-hmm. State Farm send Jake next to next to the Kelsey's mom at the game for the Eagles. Like, so much interesting marketing. And then the other side <laughs> was like, so enough. <laughs> like, every time something happens on social, every brand in the world, like, pounces on it. And then it's just so over within, you know, a week. So there is that balance where everyone's chasing every single cultural moment. But what, Brendan, what, I, I loved your post, by the way, when you broke down kind of what was happening with the Taylor Swift effect. Yeah. So for context, uh, Sarah, I, I did a post. I went into TrendPop, a TikTok analytics tool, and just all I'm limited to is the hashtag Travis Kelsey. And I looked at sort of the spikes that uh, were associated with him. And so, you know, early February 2023, you know, he was part of the winning Super Bowl team. And the amount of views around him doubled at that time from 451 million lifetime views up to that point to 900. Wow. That's a Super Bowl win. But that is nothing, <laughs> nothing in compared, comparison to what happened when he, uh, when Taylor Swift first started appearing, uh, first appeared at his game on September 24th. Okay. So mm-hmm. the power of so Taylor, the power of Taylor. <laughs> It's crazy. So, you know, he was hovering around a billion total views up to that point. And then in about just over three weeks, because the the numbers have updated, it went from just shy of a billion to now he's got over 4 billion views around his content. I mean, it's crazy to think about the fact that, like, she had a bigger impact on him than the Super Bowl in terms of the overall mentions. And it's like, you see why people are like, calling out that she's having a big impact on like the, you know, city economy, state economies, the GDP, you know, the Taylor effect is real. And like, what's crazy too is like, I mean, I'm not a big Taylor guy and I'm not a big football guy, but like, even for me, this was impossible to miss. And I remember seeing TikToks, people, yeah, it's crazy. People were being like, is Taylor Swift bigger than the NFL? Which is crazy (laughs) because the NFL is like, one of the largest institutions in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! I know that conversation was to your point everywhere. Whether you're a sports fan, a football fan, you love Taylor. You think she's annoying. I mean, it was inescapable. And actually, earlier in the year, we brought as Maybelline, which we've seen a lot of brands do these days, as more of like a relationship building. I guess I'll say event. We brought editors and influencers to see Taylor when she was um, in New Jersey at the stadium, and everyone had so much fun. And of course we had beauty products for them, but it was really more of a moment to get to know them and and treat them to something special. So seeing so many 
brands doing that. And now it's so funny that internally, I mean, sister brands are talking about, well, now we need to get people to one of the games. We've got to get to one of his games because maybe Taylor will be there and the editors and influencers will be so excited to see that. And we're like, oh my gosh, now we're investing it. We're going to invest in football tickets. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I was just going to say, this is something I've been trying to think about is like, I feel like with creators and generally with personalities today, those that are most impactful or those that sort of build these parasocial relationships with their audience, they bring people into their lives. And so you get to know them. And that sort of seems like 99%. But Taylor, and admittedly, I'm not like a diehard fan, so maybe I'm missing something. She seems to be almost like a symbol in a lot of ways. You don't really know her. Like you, you hear her music and, but like, She's not a person that you see doing a lot of long form content. So, you know, she's not like, um, uh, she's not live streaming her her day or yes, she's not on like a call your daddy podcast. That's, that's true. But I think like the Swifties, which I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm one, but friends that are seem to think that there's all these like Easter egg messages, right. That she gives in different song lyrics or music videos. So I wonder if that's how people feel they know her. Because to your point, yeah, it's not like she's out on every doing every podcast and doing every interview. So that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder where that turning point was, where she was able to build that audience that felt compelled to go down the rabbit hole to do the Easter egg content. Because I agree, that seems to be critical to her success. And it's almost like she's a symbol, somebody people can kind of project themselves onto, you know, the breakups and it seemed to be a common theme. Once again, this is very surface level knowledge of Taylor Swift. No, you're right, though, because no, you're right. So many women, myself included, were like, oh, this song resonates with me because, you know, in all of her different famous breakups, right? That's what's interesting, too, is people trying to figure out, well, which song relates to which guy, you know? Or even now seeing on Twitter people being like, oh, my gosh, when they break up, what's the song going to be? And it's like, give them a (laughs) chance. Maybe they'll last. Maybe this is the guy. (laughs) Also, I have a theory, and and then we can move on. I'm sorry. but like, No, I love this. I've gotten into an argument with uh, a friend that's a Swifty that like I think some of the well specifically one of her relationships was completely fabricated manufactured it's just a Hollywood thing her and Jake Gyllenhaal because I know there was the song the scarf but her you know his sisters and all that I know that much but like I looked into it there's literally one photo well it's like one uh, there's a couple photos but of the same exact moment of her and Jake Gyllenhaal together in New York. And that's all you can find in them. So I'm convinced that like some of this is manufactured. That's my one. Cons- I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but that's my one conspiracy. Cause like <laughs> I looked, I don't see anything of the two of them together out and about in public other than one photo that looks pretty I staged. Just, I love how this <laughs> opened with Brendan saying, I knew nothing about Taylor Swift and then rattling off like 58 things about. Taylor. <laughs> He's like, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's like, well, now I remember the thing about the scarf. Yeah, like the scarf name job. But listen, she did the documentary. I think it's on Apple, which was a massive hit. 
for documentaries. One of her big videos, like the viral videos, was I think it was Jimmy Fallon when he showed her at post-search. She had some surgery and it was like some huge... So I think when you do let people in, it works. Ed Sheeran did an Apple documentary and now like that tour that he did, everyone knew the story and the song inspiration. And so I do think when you let people in, it helps a lot. I mean, to close the loop on this, Taylor, though, the one thing I did want to ask Sarah is how do you decide? Like what moments... Because there's a moment every day. There's not a Taylor yep. moment, Kelsey moment every day. That's like the moment of the year. But there's moments every day. How do you decide ultimately which ones you want to do something brand-wise with? So I, I hate to always re- repeat the word authentic. But I would say, is it something for us thinking about Maybelline's heritage, Maybelline's DNA, or the idea that Maybelline, we're Maybelline New York, right? And the whole team is based in New York. So when are moments that are culturally relevant where... We don't seem like we're just jumping into a conversation to jump in, like where do we fit in, which can be kind of tricky. And so I think for us, we we just try to try to find moments where we feel like we could actually fit in and that we don't seem ridiculous. But it's hard because to your point, there's something new every day. So the easier like low-hanging fruit might be a makeup trend, right? There's the latte eye look or the, you know, all those things, you know, speaking of um, Bieber and his wife driving all of her, you know, this uh, chocolate nail art or whatever type things, you know, Haley Bieber's trends. We can jump on things like that and work with creator partners on, okay, how do you get this look that's trending with Maybelline products? But when it's a, that's easy, right? Low-hanging fruit. But the cultural moment stuff, we've got to put more thought into it. And then we have to try to you know, get permission from the powers that be to move fast. But I think some of the more indie brands, at least in beauty, can be a bit more reactive, uh, maybe less guardrails for them, or their brand DNAs are just different. Yeah, especially from organic social. Obviously, it's much easier to move quickly from your own organic social. If you're partnering with an influencer, that stuff doesn't go live in, you know, 24 to 48 hours. So that needs to be more the macro trends and less the micro chasing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, well, the last topic I did want to talk about before we move to Cowbow was the Gen X generation. I feel like most of when we talk about trends and we talk about what's hot, it's a lot of focus on the the younger generations. But Wavemaker did a really interesting report. I don't know if you all read this report. It shows that companies only spend 5% of their influencer campaigns to reach Gen X consumers. So only 13% of Gen X feel represented based on this report by social media ads, while 92% use social media daily. Gen X also represents 28% of TikTok's user base. I don't know if people realize that. Yet again, just 5% of brand campaigns aim to reach them. The boomer generation, by the way, is one of the wealthiest generations in history of the world. And they are going to pass all that wealth on to the Gen X generation. It feels like this generation is not getting the love and respect for marketing that they deserve. How do you treat that generation? Is that a talked about thing at Maybelline and L'Oreal? It is talked about at specifically, I know at Maybelline, but I'm sure throughout the halls of our sister brands. Most recently, we've been talking about actually a foundation that we're reanimating early next year that we really want to focus on both the creator partners and their communities that are Gen X and like down to like the older millennial using a bit of like nostalgia in the content, but also talking about 
you know, the realization of hitting this age in life too, because sometimes I think maybe Gen X is less focused on because there is some kind of terrible ageist thing. And so much of like American culture, we think of like younger beauty and how, you know, when you look back at old photos, like in college and you're like, why didn't I realize like how beautiful I was and how healthy and strong and fit. And you, cause then you're like self-deprecating a bit. I think maybe, I don't know if that's more of a, a female issue, but so I think as it's like an ageist thing, not, okay, great. It's not, great. Thank, <laughs> it makes thank you feel you. better. Thank you. But you know, I don't know. I, it, it's got so much to do with maybe it's like an ageist thing in our culture a bit, but I know that we're starting to think more about how we can really speak to those consumers or potential new consumers and also, you know, something I, I like to challenge our team is let's take a step back. Who is already buying our products, right? And, you know, we're sold at Walmart, Target, right? We're a CPG brand. We're not a luxury beauty brand. And it just so happens that many of those consumers are women in their late 30s, early 40s. So that starts to be that younger Gen X or older Gen um, yeah, older millennial. So, okay, I know we want to acquire more of our younger Gen Z friends. So we, I think, need to do a better job of balancing the messaging to both and working with creators either that speak to both or making sure we have like the right niches covered. So, you know, we could always do a better job with that, I think. But it's definitely something we're talking about actually pretty frequently lately. Yeah, it seems like a huge opportunity to kind of get outsized benefits because to your point keith like the the amount of gen xers that use social i mean now it's just everyone is using social and i i like did some quick stats or pulled some quick stats when i saw that you doubted this 48 percent of gen x trust youtube which is awesome in the pew research study that i found it said 76 percent of gen x uses social i think probably what you pulled is more accurate or what the report had 28% of TikTok users are Gen X. That actually also seems a bit low. I would imagine it's it's much, much higher. I mean, over a third of the U.S. population uses TikTok. So I bet it's probably well above 50%. And then to your point about income and uh, disposable income, baby boomers are number one with spending $450 billion annually. Gen X is number two with spending $357 billion annually. And the next one down is millennials, with 322 billion annually. So it seems like a huge sort of arbitrage opportunity to work with trusted creators who are probably not getting as many brand deals, reaching this audience who has a lot of disposable income. Yeah, and again, think about the general wealth transfer. That's the Gen X like spend right now. In the next 20 years, they're gonna absorb the largest wealth transfer we've ever seen in the economy in history. That is insane. So it feels like their wallet is... 70 times larger than others, yet marketing's focus is 70 times on the on the others than it is on the Gen X. So there does seem to be a massive imbalance here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are such good points. It's so true. So hopefully we can we will be able to reach them in more impactful ways. But even when I look at my regular normal life, like my cousins who are older that are in their 40s, some of them in their 50s, and they have kids who are in college and they're on TikTok just as much as their kids. And maybe they're following, you know, or viewing different types of videos that are maybe more, one is really into recipes, one is more into the humor and the beauty, but they're there. So we just got to make sure that we're speaking in the right way to the right consumer set, which I think has always been a challenge in marketing, no matter what year it is. 
is the challenge. Yeah. There's a great business idea. Content classes and yeah. cat cut courses for the Gen X. Because at the end <laughs> of the day, you still need the creators to be there. And yeah. I think if you're Gen X and you create on social media, you could have a very fruitful, wealthy, you know, life for the next for the next 20, 30, 40 years if you're doing it in the space. Well, look at like a lot of the big podcasters right now. I mean, all in podcast, Rogan, those are all Gen Xers. And those are some of the biggest podcasters. And then there's a ton of like finance podcasts that are huge. Like they are definitely, they've got their presence felt, but it probably is a smaller amount of creators. But I think people appreciate, I, I imagine that's part of the appeal of, of those folks is like they've got life experiences. They're speaking from kind of real, a certain degree of wisdom and, and experiences and, and stories that they can share. Whereas, uh, not not to take anything away from younger creators, but oftentimes it can be a little bit more about chasing the views and kind of being a bit more hyperbolic at times. Well, what's the thing they don't have? Short form video editing abilities that the younger generation has, which let's face it, is a huge predictor of success on these social platforms right now. So I think we need to educate them on how to create short form video using things like CapCut. And if they did have that, because podcasting, you don't need that. You sit in front of a mic, anyone could kind of do it. I think for them, if they became more talented creators, I think a lot of brands would be spending a lot more money in this space with them. All right, are we ready? Let's move into our final section. This is our cow, bow, follow, unfollow. Let's do it. Let's start with cow. Our creator of the week. Sarah, do you want to kick us off? I can kick us off. This was actually kind of tricky for me because I work with so many creators, but I wanted to go with, since we've talked a bit about nostalgia today as well, Isabel Clancy. I don't know um, if you know her. She does a ton of that early 2000s throwback, very funny content. Uh, We had discovered she was actually using a Maybelline product a lot, our Dream Matte Mousse, which is something funny that millennial women like love to make fun of, that we would cake on our face and we all looked kind of orange. So we decided to kind of capitalize on that and start working with her in a a paid sponsorship capacity. And so she's someone that's been such a great partner that I wanted to give her a shout out because she's hilarious and our content with her will get like 30 million organic views. And then also I did a second one, Hayden Cohen. I don't know if you're familiar. His handle is at haters. He's more up and coming, I would say. He is hilarious. He does a lot of content that's almost making fun of influencers. So whether it's like how to pack your kids lunch or things that you think should be obvious, but a lot of influencers will talk about them and he just says the ridiculous things. And um, yeah, I I enjoy both of them. And we actually recently partnered with them in the MTV series I spoke about earlier and they were just hilarious together. So, you know, those are two creators I wanted to give some love to that I think people should check out if you don't already follow them. Love those. Those are great. Brendan, who do you have? Who is your cow? So I always like blending these two when I can't. So I'll knock them both out at once. But creator of the week is Mark Rober. If you're not familiar, he's a big YouTuber, former NASA engineer turned creator. But he's got nearly 4 billion views, 26 million subscribers. He's famous for his wild inventions. The one that goes viral every year is he creates a package like that looks like an Amazon delivery package and leaves it on doorsteps. And it's got a glitter bomb in it. And so he just anticipates people stealing it. And then basically 
there's a glitter bomb. He's had like sort of a stink bomb in there and he films it all. It's always hilarious. He's done the largest jello filled pool. He's really creative. It's so funny and so smart, but he just launched a partnership with Nerf where he did the world's smallest Nerf gun. It went live, I think two weeks ago, it's got 17 million views. So that's the creator, but like I touched on it, the the brand Nerf, so smart. I think in general, they do such a good job with their partnerships in the space. They were the first, at least that I was aware of, to do uh, have a chief TikTok officer. They had Sophie Jameson. Her name on TikTok is Sophie Lightning, and she was already doing a ton of Nerf content. She became their official creator for two or so years. And they do really smart, long-standing collaborations. So with Dude Perfect, they created a product line with Dude Perfect. So I just really admire that they kind of go for these long-term strategic partnerships with creators in the space. Those are good ones. I like that. Yeah, those are good. And things that I feel now I need to look into. I'm always kind of stuck in my beauty bubble. And so I kind of need to know a bit more out of, out of that space. Yeah, Nerf has done a good job. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see what the sales are on that Dude Perfect product line, but I imagine it's got to be doing pretty well because Dude Perfect has just been kind of consistently mm-hmm. one They're of the top it. creators. Yeah, Keith, how about you, Creator of the Week? Mine was the comedy creator Dwayne Colley, so he's country Wayne, but he debuted his first ever stand-up special. It's called The Woman's Prayer on Netflix, and it opened as the platform's number one TV show in the U.S. So. This is, again, just another signal on how much things are changing, both in broadcast and in streaming. I don't want those two things to be what creators strive for, because we talked about this. There's only going to be such a small number of creators who break through into that versus YouTube. You could, you know, there's no limit to how many could exist on social. So I don't want, I don't want every creator to start saying that's the goal, but it is showing such a significant shift in the content we're being served, the creators and how big they're getting in their role in in the more traditional content format. So I just thought it was so cool to see it hit number one in the US. So I've got some interesting insight into this. I should have brought this up, but country weight. Okay, so in terms of overall viewership, you know, people think of like Mr. Beast or these channels that are blowing up, but I don't know what time period exactly, but last month or so, the number one most viewed creator, when you take into account re-uploads, has been Country Wayne. Because really? his audience yeah. is so diehard. They're taking his content and they're reposting it. And so in aggregate, he was, at least for a period of time recently, the most viewed creator. I thought that was fascinating. More so than Mr. Beast, more so than, you know, you know, Miss Rachel and all these kids' channels that are so big. Love Miss Rachel. All right. Well, we already heard Brendan's brand of the week, but Sarah, do you have a bow? I do. I really wanted to say, you know, Rare Beauty, who some might think is kind of a competitor, although a lot, you know, in a different, more more luxury than in our space. But I really admire all the work that they've done, um, that Selena's done in the mental health space. We recently saw World Mental Health Day was this past week, and she has her foundation called the Rare Impact Fund, and they did 100% of their proceeds at Sephora to this fund. And that was just something seeing coming from a 
celebrity brand that's also, I would call, a love brand in beauty that I think did a really great thing for the day, you know, with a retailer. And I saw so much positive sentiment. So yeah, I'm, I give it to the Rare Beauty team. That's that's my brand of the week. Mine was Olaplex. Did you see, Sarah, the Oladupe product that they launched? Dupe culture is obviously very big, exploded this year. and they, Huge. Yeah. Huge. They, I thought it was so creative that they launched an actual product called Oladupe, kind of duped the dupers, sold a lot of this product, got a ton of engagement and, and press on what they were doing. And so another example of, and this is hard to do, listen, anyone who's on the brand side knows actual product creation, whether it's a limited edition or just a new release, is super hard to do. So the fact that they did a social first thing, understood that trend, actually created a product, sold that product, did a whole campaign around it, I just I applaud them for the effort. So smart. And you know what else? It reminded me a bit too. I loved like in fashion when Lululemon, since like their leggings are always like being duped on Amazon. And a couple months ago, it was recent, it was the summer, they did an activation, which rather than creating a new product, it was like, you could bring your like Amazon dupe leggings. They, I mean, they had a line of people like blocks long. You could bring in your dupes to donate. I think they were going to recycle them. And then you got one free pair of Lululemon leggings basically to get them in your hands to be like, this is why it's worth the, you know, $100 price tag. So to give people the experience and let them have them. I loved that. I thought that was brilliant. That activation was genius because it was like, how do you demonstrate product superiority in the most interesting way? It was people basically saying like, my dupes weren't that good. I'm going to trade them and get the actual best product out there. I thought, I agree with you. I thought that was genius. So good. So good. Dupe, you have a dupe culture everywhere to your point. All right, let's let's close it out with our follow unfollow. Brenda, do you want to start us off this time? Sure. Uh, so let's see here. Follow unfollow. My follow is Nerf. I think they're just doing an incredible job. My unfollow is SVODs. I don't know if you saw, but Dude Perfect announced that they launched an SVOD. And then I was totally in, unaware of this, but College Humor, I guess two years ago, rebranded as Dropout, and they launched an SVOD. And I feel like there's too many video streaming services out there. Like I'm like reaching, I'm like constantly like I'm subscribed to more than like literally more than I know. I don't need to add more. And also this was attempted a few years back. Gosh, actually I think it was a decade ago within the creator space, there was vessel. And then even for a short period of time, full screen, the MCN actually launched an SVOD and they didn't work for creators. I just feel like right now there's too many of these and I'm just turned off by it. To be honest, it's more of a visceral thing. I mean, I hope for their sake they do well. You know, I want all creators to kill it. But it just seems like there are too many of these things at this point. Like a cable subscription seems appealing again, which is wild. (laughs) I know. I wonder if it's a quick acquisition tactic, if it's something that they're like, can I just sell this off? Can I start it and sell it off pretty quickly and just put it into like a broader streaming bundle? Because I think the consolidation of that industry is going to get insane over the next 12 months. We need some consolidation for sure. But uh, yeah, so that's mine. All right, Sarah, do you have a follow-unfollow this week? 
Okay. So for me, my follow, which I feel very late to the game about, is Hot Ones. I don't know if you watch Hot Ones on YouTube. I feel like I had no idea about this until we were talking about it for something potential. And I'm like, it's such great content. It's so funny. The caliber of celebrities that they get on these episodes to like challenge, eat hot wings, do all these ridiculous things together. I mean, it's so great. And some of that content pieces of that content I've noticed, you know, ends up going viral. It's not even necessarily that it's the full YouTube video. So that has been a new personal follow for me to really see that type of content. And in my personal life, I also, I love food. I love going out to eat. I also, so like the foodie space, I always try to get to know more about that. I can't only talk about lipstick. I am following the wives and husbands with the T-Swift stuff trolling each other. I laugh so hard at these things. It's, I don't <laughs> I don't know if you saw That's this, Brendan. so good. Yeah, the wives are like, <laughs> this This guy named like Travis Kelsey is getting so big because of this Taylor Swift thing. And the guy's are like, what are you talking about? Travis Kelsey is like the best, biggest football player in the world. And they're trolling. My favorite is when the guy trolls his wife in the car. And he goes, hey, there's this country singer that's like exploding because she's dating Travis Kelsey. And she's like, are you talking about Taylor Swift? That's and he's like, so yeah, good. I think it's like some big country singer. All these, everything around the Taylor Swift, there was a lot of heat of this is too much. It's, it's, I, I think it's hilarious. I'm enjoying it. I think it's funny. I think it's funny. Yeah. Yes. I, way better for me than the Roman Empire. I never really understood the Roman Empire one. Okay, quick question. So, Roman Empire thing. So, neither of you guys like understood it in the sense that it's not something that crosses your mind. Is that what you're saying? I just don't know why it was like this humongous thing. I didn't get the underlying, like why it took off so much. The only time personally the yeah. Roman Emperor crossed my mind is when I want to watch Gladiator because that is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> like, that's the thing that I brought up is like Gladiator or like Coliseum. And then like when you think about democracy and stuff, like it's subconsciously Roman Empire comes up all the time. I don't know, Sarah, for you, it, were you just like, what the hell is this? Or were you? Yeah, when it first came up, I was like, how did this go like viral? Like, where is this coming from? I did I did not have, I guess, that like look into this uh, male mind that this was something that people really thought about. <laughs> so a friend of mine asked me about this and, and my response was, <laughs> I think about the Roman Empire at least as much as I think about dinosaurs, which is at least once a day. <laughs> like, I think dinosaurs is like another one, like in terms of like dudes, like not to be cliche, but like, I don't know, dinosaurs, that like three-year-old part of my brain still pops up like all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, my three-year-old has God, God knows how many dinosaurs in this house, so she thinks about it way more than I do. All right, as we close, last, last section, just anything you want to promote. This is our little grift minute here, but anything you're doing or want to shout out to, Sarah? Yeah, hello at Maybelline. Maybelline is the shout out. But yeah, no, we have we have so many great things coming up. So whether it's something college campus, mental health, or some really fun new products that are going to be coming out end of this year, early next year, I would say definitely look out for those. Love it. Brendan, anything you want to give a shout out to? I mean, said before and I'll say it again. I think if you made it this far, folks, give us a follow. Listen to these. To steal from uh, Sam and Sean from the My First Million podcast, it's the gentleman's agreement. We do this work for you for free. The least you can do is subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And we have Corporate Natalie coming up very soon. We have Zaria Parvez Ooh. from Duolingo coming up very soon. So we've got some big hitters in the coming, coming weeks. So 
Everybody definitely stay tuned. Sarah, so wonderful having you on. Thank you for joining us. You are welcome back anytime. And I hope to see you in New York soon. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sarah. for listening and for more of the latest news on what's happening in influencer marketing and the creator economy check out the creator economy insider newsletter delivering awesome content straight to your inbox every friday and if you want to meet brendan and i in person along with some of the incredible guests that will be joining us on the show live and in person join us at creator economy live on january 17th next year you can find links to the newsletter and more info on the live event in our bio Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by Linkia, the number one influencer marketing partner for the world's leading brands. Having executed over 3,000 campaigns for more than 650 brands, Linkia combines technology powered by Google Vision AI with award-winning service to deliver measurable influencer results.